Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Beatrix. And Beatrix was in a toxic relationship with a trust-inducing abuser. It's a story of arrested development, abuse tactics, escape plans, and post-separation abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Beatrix. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Today, we're going to hear your story. But before we get into it, if you want to be a guest on our show like Beatrix is today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button. takes you to our Guest Form page. Read all the instructions. Send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form submission page and press the Submit button. So now we're going to hear Beatrix's story. And there's a lot of post-separation abuse in this story. There's a lot of great learning lessons from the mistakes that she made in the story. There's generational trauma as well. Also in this story, uh, there is a trigger warning here. There's a brief discussion of uh, sexual abuse, um, not child sexual abuse, but there was, I guess, it's hard to explain. It, It was something that happened when she was younger. She was exposed to things that she shouldn't have been exposed to. There's also a sexual abuse when it comes to her partner, when her partner's actually older. So there's the trigger warning on that as well. And There's a lot of uh, physical intimidation uh, that goes on in this story, too. So trigger warning for everything. Um, And I just want to say a big thank you once again to Beatrix for being a guest on our show. So now, Beatrix, the floor is now yours. All right. Thank you so much. I'm really happy, excited to be here. Um, so I think where I will start is just, uh, where it all begins for a lot of us is is my childhood. Um, so my parents were both exposed to abuse in their childhoods, um, really extreme, severe abuse, more so than I could, um, I experienced, although it's not a contest. Um, but I would, I would describe them as victims of abuse and not survivors. And I think there's a very big distinction between those two groups. Um, so my, my paternal grandmother, um, suffered from bipolar disorder, which was a pretty rare diagnosis back in the day. 
um, probably, I would say, I don't know, 50s, 60s, this woman is having severe mental breakdowns to the point where I've, I heard stories from my dad that he remembers as a young child running his fingers along the bullet holes in the walls where my grandmother would have taken my grandfather's service rifle and shot it at him um, in an argument. So lots of turmoil in the house there. And he, my paternal grandfather ended up abandoning that family and um, probably for, for his own safety. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, that kind of left my, my father alone and, and my grandmother eventually really married and had, you know, children with this husband. And my father was, ostracized and, and made to feel like the black sheep of that family. Um, and so they, you know, they, they were both physically abusive to my father since he was a child and up until the point where he left and, and became independent very early on. Um, my mom was born very premature um, as a result of domestic abuse. So the story behind that is that um, my my maternal grandmother was pregnant. I want to say five or six months pregnant with my mom, and was in an argument with my grandfather while they were driving in a car. And he hit a bump way way too fast, and the car became airborne for a moment. And when it landed, the impact of that knocked my um, maternal grandmother into labor, and so my mom was born very premature. She has health issues related to it today like her ear canals are not fully developed and she was born like the nurse came out holding her in the palm of her hand is what the story was um and so that's just the circumstances of her birth right and then and it just gets worse from there so so generational trauma runs in your family yeah and i don't even know it, I've, I've asked questions about even prior to that, and it is just so dark and nebulous, like I can't even imagine. And just based on what I do know, it's it's pretty deep and dark in my family. Yeah. So tell us about your parents. How did how did that relationship go? <laughs> they they met through mutual friends, and <laughs> yeah, I was conceived at a Halloween party. My I don't, I don't know why I know all this. I, sh- I shouldn't know all this. My dad was dressed as a clown. My mom was dressed as a geisha. That was the night I was conceived. And I was born in July, the following year. And they, you know, my dad tried to do the right thing and marry her. And that ended in flames. And they divorced when I was three. And my mom remarried another man who was totally abusive to both of us. And she ended up fleeing that relationship and getting back to my dad. My mom was, um, you know, severely abused, and I got a lot of details about that growing up. And so that kind of painted my worldview into thinking that the world is just like a scary place, just fraught with abusers, which it kind of, you know, and not to say that it's not, but there's, there's a lot of good in the world, too, a lot. And so um, I grew up really, really in a remote area. Um, and so I, um, as a, uh, probably middle school-ish, my parents decided to give it another go, um, get back together, and um, they this this um, kind of would take place at my dad's home, which was uh, 
the way my dad lived was really not suitable for humans or animals. I would even say, I mean, I have some, I have some memories of just the conditions of that place that alone are, I have nightmares about and, um, probably neither of them had any place, um, raising kids because they had so much trauma of their own, um, which is sad for them. And it always kind of stuck for me too, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, so, you know, they would, they would be intimate in this rickety trailer and I would have to hear and feel every movement of this activity. And it went on for like years. Um, and I know it sounds like I said, suffering is not Olympics, but it's not outright sexual abuse. Right. But it is very impactful. Um, I find to this day, you know, I'm in, I'm in EMDR therapy and this is the stuff that we talk about. (laughs) So it, it left quite an impression on me and, um, just to be so young, to be exposed to that. And then also to speak up, um, which I don't think anyone should have to have this conversation with their parents. Um, but I did because it was that bad and, uh, they totally ignored me and they were like, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And then they kind of just like gaslit me for the rest of my time under their roof. Um, basically like, why do you have so many problems? Why are you so messed up? And when the evidence was pretty much right in front of their faces and it, uh, they didn't want to acknowledge it because it would have been inconvenient to them. Right. So God forbid they become inconvenienced in any way. So <laughs> I, um, spent a lot of my childhood making myself very, very small, very, very small. Cause I had these big, big personalities that I had to manage. Um, so, so you grew up in chaos and you're fending for yourself. Uh, your parents are there by name only <laughs> for a lot of it, but you're yeah. really fending for yourself. Um, a, a yeah. lot of drugs going on, like, um, yeah, within the family as well. Yeah, both my parents were alcoholics and they, you know, smoked weed and party. And I found a, like, a syringe kit of my dad's one time. I mean, I, I, I know they got into some pretty serious drug use as well. So they, they were more, you know, what, what happens when we're, tra- when we're traumatized, right? We, we have a rest of development. And so we stay in that age and so i was raised by like parents who were trapped in 14 year old minds you know they just wanted to party and get high like what was i to them i was nothing to them i was just an inconvenience and as you kind of got older in like the high school years were you able to make like a solid group of friends and like have some support at all or no um i was very angry and awkward and alienated and we all are right teenagers teenage years are not easy but dealing with that i was just on a completely different planet um i made friends here and there and as i grew older i I have maintained and, and gained some amazing friendships that i cherish to this day but back then i was pretty isolated um and it just mad and angry and I started and on the, uh, the drug use as well. Like that's kind of what I did for the next decade, basically just, just looking back on it, it was self-destruction. I mean, I was trying to, I was trying to wipe myself off the face of the planet. Um, but yeah. you're here and you yeah. made it through 
and you know it's a testament to you that you are sitting here and you're looking healthy and like all these things were going on you were you were your own parent and being your own parent at a very young age you know just doing your best to take care of yourself you are pretty much uh in the water holding on to a life preserver who knows if you even have that life preserver on but you're just trying to get by day to day and survive in this time of your life so do you eventually start to like are you looking for like do you know who you are as a person i assume you have no idea who you are kind of you're just trying to find out and you're just trying to live really you're like maybe an amoeba of sorts Uh Yes, that is such a good word for it. Yeah. You're just, like somebody can poke you. You're reacting. That's that's your ability. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like just dust in the wind. I mean, like yeah. I mean, there was there was nothing there, um, and that was intentional. Um, I worked really hard at that, <laughs> but n- not for my own good at all. Um, I think what changed couple things you know i i had a, a brother a half brother he he had a different father than i did same mom you know and we grew up he was eight years older than me and we grew up not really close growing up but i became close with him in my early 20s you know when i moved out of my parents i kind of lived with him for a little while and we got really close and um he, i idolized him he was an artist and very sociable and you can make friends i mean he's just like everything I'm not, you know, really amazing human being. And he ended up overdosing on heroin in 2012 and passed away. Um, so losing him was a wake up call for me, um, because I was going down that same path and that kind of put things into perspective for me. And so I did start seeking more serious relationships and attachments then. And did you end up going to school? How was work going? Oh man, I worked up. I wasn't interested in school. Um, I was working in retail, customer service, just whatever, whatever. I totally didn't care. I had a job. The money was really good. I worked at a coffee shop. The money was really good, but the, it was <laughs> the owner was a nutball. I mean, toxic. Um, and it's, he knew what he was doing because in the state that I live in, you know, if you have less than X amount of employees, you can kind of just do whatever you want. Like you're not held to the same standards as a large company. Right. So he said and did things that probably wouldn't fly um, in a more commercial business. Um, and I was, I was dating this guy at the time, my, the, the man who I would, we, we never got married. We were, I would say, common law married. We, we lived together for the amount of time, you know, to, to find that partnership. And we had a child together, you know. But I was working with this place and really unhappy. I was getting just reamed by my boss, like, verbally every day. He would say the most horrible, abhorrent things to me. Um, so I, I had our child, and I was, <laughs> I you know, he wasn't required to provide me with any maternity leave. So I... I took out a loan on my car for $2,000 and 
and I got my shifts covered from my coworkers for two weeks, and I got to take to have my baby, and I got to take two weeks off. Um, yeah, yeah. And he made me when I got went to back to work. I had to breast. I had to like breast pump because my boobs would hurt. Um, but he wouldn't let me use the bathroom. He wouldn't let me use the office. So I had to like squat down behind this little coffee roaster to do it. It was messed up. It was messed up. And I just took it because I'm one of my, the master of taking crap from people. I can make myself into any shape you need. But. And you got, you got <laughs> married during this time um, as well when you had your baby. Yes, exactly. So um, I'm with this man. You know, we've been dating or whatever, living together for like four years. We have a kid together. And um, he was an artist. And I was in my 20s. And I thought it was going to just be roses and unicorns, you know. Um, but I was really unhappy because I was working for this insane boss, getting a screen out every day. I'd come home. I'm just like, I just want to hang out with my baby. And this man that I married is sitting on the couch doing nothing, you know, which, you know, whatever. That's not really the issue. The issue was that he started on this religious control thing where he, I don't even know what you would call it. It was like me. We don't celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Easter. We don't celebrate any of the quote-unquote pagan holidays. Uh, you can't do yoga because you're channeling demons. You can't do, we celebrate Hanukkah now. You can't eat pork. And we, I mean, anyway. Yes, so I was constantly being berated for this and that behavior because it wasn't quote-unquote biblical. Um, and that got old pretty quickly considering the fact that I was, the breadwinner, which I don't think is biblical <laughs> to have the women be the breadwinner, but whatever. Um, so that ended up causing a lot of animosity in the relationship. And, you know, I just had no interest in saving the relationship and I was done and I was out and not saying that I went about it in the best way, but I pretty much came up to him one day and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I changed the locks on him. You know, you can get your own place. I'm, you know, for all intents and purposes, this relationship is, is you know, just, um, which isn't great and was not fun. Um, so after that is over, how are you feeling about yourself? How are you feeling about uh, relationships? Uh, are you someone that wants to get back into a relationship like pretty quick after? Uh, do you have any self-esteem? You've been helping others like... You you need you need, you know you want support I assume. Yeah, I think that is exactly right. Um, but I'm not good at admitting that I need or want help. Um, that that never went well for me. So yeah, I I separate from him. I'm extremely poor. Um, I um, feel like. <laughs> Because I've been sipping all this religious Kool-Aid, right? Like, I feel like the harlot. I left this man, and I left a marriage that, you know, probably could have been saved, but the love wasn't there, so, man. But um, I felt so guilty. I felt like I was cursing. I felt like God was just cursing me. I'm going to be doomed to just never have a successful or happy relationship because I broke this covenant. I mean, I was in the thick of it with that religious brainwashing. Um, I felt like I'm worth nothing, less than nothing, but 
but I have my kid, right? And I'm like, even if I'm worth nothing, my kid is worth more than this. This is crap. This is bull crap. I don't want to live like this. This is stupid. My kid deserves better than this. Even if I don't believe I deserve it, I at least wanted to get out for my kid and try to make a better go with it elsewhere. So that was my motivation. And I ended up getting a better job, um, going back to school. You know, I'm still, I'm still working on my degree, but back then, you know, I had just, this was my first kid. So I was like, not only was this my first kid, he was like a year old. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out there on my own kind of dating, but not really successful because who wants a single mom? Yeah. So I was, I was broke. I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing and I was drowning. And I thought, um, I was looking for a partner because I wanted someone to help shoulder that burden. Um, but what I've, what I've come to find out now is that, you know, when you become a single parent, that's, that's kind of it. Like there's no going back. Even if you do get married later on, they're not going to be that child's biological parent. They're not going to be the one who was there in the birthing room <laughs> or whatever, you know, like they just don't quite care about that kid as much as you do and not to their own, that's nothing against them. They, why should they, you know, like, at best, they should just be a cool uncle. Like, I wouldn't even want to be with a partner now who would want to be super involved with my children. It's like, back off. Like, that's not your role. You know what I mean? And I, I didn't know that then. I was looking for someone to step in and be like, dad number two. And that's not really fair to ask of somebody, I don't think, as a step parent. I think oh, the best you can hope for is for someone to just be nice to your kids and not scream at them and not, you know, berate them and bring them into their own craziness. That's what, that's what I'm looking for now, you know, I'm, I, I got the parent thing on lockdown. I, I'm, I have accepted my fate. I am, <laughs> I am mommy. I am single mommy, you know, in the future, another man comes into the picture, which no rush in that. That's, that's not going to be their role. They're not going to be that kid's dad. So not to go on a tangent, but that's, that's, um, that was a big downfall for me was looking for someone who wanted to fill that role. And, um, that, that was looking in the wrong. So eventually you meet the person that this story is about. Tell us where it begins. Okay. So we meet on, of course I'm on the dating apps and, um, even before our first date, he's very communicative. He's texting me all the time, which I'm not used to at all. Um, and mind you, I'm totally oblivious to the dating world red flags are not even in my vocabulary i don't know anything i don't even know how traumatized i am even before this trauma <laughs> um we go on our first date and the thing that strikes me about him is he's very effeminate his mannerisms his voice and he's a big man he's big he's tall he's muscular he's got a clean cropped look um he's very macho background his family is macho background you know what i mean and it, it just it was striking i would say it was just different um you know from from the way he described himself and the way he actually was i was like this guy's a little <laughs> and not to sound judgmental i hear myself saying it it sounds awful but that just that was my impression i was like okay this guy's got some feminine mannerisms all right, you know, no, what, who am I to judge? 
So, um, you know, come to find out, he is actually one of many children. He's the only boy. There's got several siblings. All of them are girls. He's got a strong matriarchal family. Mom is big. This is what he's telling me, okay? You know, women are so important in my family. And my mom, I go to church with my mom and my dad every Sunday. And they're, this, this could be the, the bumper sticker. They're pillars of the community. Real involved, just squeaky clean on the outside, which, you know. And, of course, obviously my family background is just totally opposite of that. And so I find it very appealing, this wonderful, loving family environment. And they're so very welcoming and nice. And, and I'm, like, just swept off my feet with him and his family. I'm like, wow, this is just perfect. This is family I always wanted, all these sisters. You know, I never had a sister. And they love my kids. They're so good to my kids. Well, I had just the one at the time, but they took us in and welcomed us into their home. Like we were part of the family and that was. And, uh, another thing that, um, we're not going to go into detail about, but this person was in the armed forces, which if you've heard our show, there's a lot of people that have been in the armed forces that, uh, this show has discussed. And then also, this person held a specific job. We will not mention uh, what the job is. It's just very identifying. And when someone tells you that this was your job, um, this just trust me, everyone. You're like, hey, you take notice of this person. Quite yes. impressive. Quite impressive. And that is the definition of trust in my mind. You know what I mean? Like that is talk about your gold stamp of approval of being trustworthy is, is having a role like that. Um, and that combined with the family, I'm like, this is a solid individual right here. And that's just what I'm looking for. <sighs> Another thing that I noticed right off that was he was a talker. And I mean, just a mile a minute. Couldn't get a word in edgewise. He would begin on a story and before you know it, he'd be telling three or four other stories. And, um, uh, you know, I'm not much of a talker. It's not my natural instinct. I like to conversate. I like to have a back and forth and a dialogue. And you speak and then I speak. That's kind of how, <laughs> that's kind of how it works. And, I'm, you know, I'm happy to just sit and nod along and be like, yeah, cool, you know. But in, in, and I'm kind of introverted anyway, so I'm, I'm just happy to listen. Go on, go on. Tell me a yarn. Leave me a yarn. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, the bartender was like, oh, my God, like, you guys, is this your first date? Like, you guys look like you're just having such a good time. I can't even believe you guys look like you've been married for a thousand, you know, whatever. And he probably slipped them freaking five bucks to say that. But <laughs> so um, those are the big things that. I notice I'm, I'm fine to just be numb and shut up and listen. I don't have to think. And, and he's got this great family and he's, you know, he seems great. He seems amazing. He's got a very impressive resume. So one of the conversations we had on our date was he asked me if I was political at all. And you know, that's, that's date conversation. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not really, I'm, I'm inherently distrustful of politicians. I don't like to say I'm on either side. You know, I think everybody's got, things we can work on and he's like oh my god me too like i'm totally like yeah I finally meet someone like me you know 
Um, another thing was we bonded over my taste in music. Like I love all kinds of music, but I love like I love Phil Collins, right? Like we bonded over Phil Collins in the air tonight. Like that was our little song, you know. But then later on in the relationship, we're like, God, why are you listening to this old people music? Like, God, I just hate I hate the music we listen to. Why don't you listen to cool music? Like, I'm like, well, I thought we liked the same kind of music, but okay. And another thing was like early on, uh, I asked him just playfully, like, oh, are there any things about me that annoy you? Like, this is just conversation that comes up when you're dating, like, you know, haha, funny kind of thing, you know? And he's like, what? He got so mad. He's like, no, I love everything about you. You are just perfect. And I was like, really? <laughs> and, we, and I wouldn't let it go. I probably should have just let it go. But I'm like, oh, come on. You know, like, I know. I mean, there's things that annoy me about you. Like, you snore. I don't like that. Like, that's, that's annoying. You, can, you know, everybody's got their things. No, <laughs> like, you are perfect. I'm like, all right. Uh, you know. The first date happens, and then in your notes you sent me that uh, a lot happens on date number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, mind you, we're, we're in constant contact in between these dates. He's texting me nonstop, um, which I'm just eating up because I'm so starved for attention. But, you know, our second date, we go for a long walk, and he uh, he bears his soul to me, I will say, or the version of his soul that he wanted me to see. Um, he explained, you know, that he was falling for me and he wanted to be transparent and he wanted to let me know that he was, you know, on probation for domestic assaults against his girlfriend. Um, but of course, me being totally naive and having no, I mean, I was, I was like a sheep to the slaughter. I mean, really, just in my defense, I was totally like, what was the so he admits that this is what's going on but how does he uh, smooth that over that's the thing where i give myself a little leeway is the way he explained it was it was like you know she's this crazy loon you know he just he works night shifts at this point so he had just come home after a long shift he just wanted to sleep and she just wouldn't let him sleep and and, and he tries to leave, but she's blocking the door, and he just gently pushes her aside, you know, and she loses it and calls the police. And then what do you know? He's got these assault charges. So I'm like, oh, oh, my gosh, it sucks for you. She sounds so mean. What a mean lady. <laughs> so, but, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And they only explain to you this, you get the pinhole version. So, you know. And then, of course, he had a ex-wife who, Similarly, was crazy and mean and ruthless and just, he gave her everything and she just took and took and took and probably what he's telling his current supply about me. <laughs> so after date number two, you learn of all of these things. Uh, when does he, I guess, start to tell you that like he really likes you or all the hooks are in and, and you're sold and how are you feeling? Like, do you think he's a catch? Like, and like, you really need, um, this is the guy, this guy's going somewhere. I need to be with him. Yeah. Um, I think the moment where I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is really deep stuff is when he, I guess, confessed or described to me and an abuse I, I don't know what, I don't even know what you call it. It was a, I, it was rape. He was raped. Uh, and he, he explained it to me like, 
he was out. This is during his time in um, the service, and he was out drinking with his buddies, and he gets separated from his group. He goes into an alley to relieve himself. Next thing he knows, he's being hit over the back of the head with a blunt, a blunt object, and a, a homeless man sexually assaults him. Tells me this, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, my heart just breaks for him. I hate that that could happen to anyone, much less someone that I care about. And, and he, he goes on to tell me that right after that, he gets into a, uh, a car wreck. He's drunk driving because he's out of control, you know, not dealing with his issues. And he gets a traumatic brain injury. He tells me he goes through rehab and he goes through therapy and he deals with all these issues and he goes and he gets better. And then he goes home to his wife and she's just like calling him a word that I don't want to say, but basically that he welcomed that assault in some way, which that I, I don't subscribe to that at all. Um, and I think that's deplorable. If she did say it, that's, you know, that's a horrible thing to say to somebody. And so obviously I'm hearing this and my heart is just breaking. Because, you know, I know what it's like to feel, you know, crumpled up and discarded and broken. And that totally resonates with me. And so this is um, like, we can rebuild. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I was incredibly broke. I was struggling living paycheck to paycheck. I had no one helping me. I was doing it all by myself, which um, is really scary. And one time my kid got sick and. He just, I didn't ask him for anything, but he just came by and dropped off 50 bucks for me. Just go get yourself some medicine, get you some juice, get you whatever you need from your kid, you know? And that was amazing. I was like, God, is this what it's like to feel supported? I, I wouldn't know. I mean, yeah, this, this feels right. This feels great. And then another time, um, it was right before my kid's birthday. And I was, you know, preparing for the party. I was planning, I was running around all day, you know? I hadn't eaten. And I, and I ended up blacking out and fainting. Um, and he, he catches me in his arms. Like, it was just, like, this big dramatic moment. And, you know, he gives me a snack and some water and, like, nurses me back. And he's like, you know, God, I don't know what I would do without you. You mean so much to me. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh. And literally, my Prince Charming just catching me in his arms. You know, I'm like, this, no matter what we've been through in the past, we can, we can overcome together. And then he starts to move in. <laughs> so he slowly starts moving in. All of these things have happened. So these red flags are there. They're explained away. He has this history uh, when it comes to the service work. Uh, you know, that's a real big plus that shines him up real nice. Uh, he was a victim of abuse where your heart goes out to him. And now, you know, he's here for you when you uh, need him most. He's helping you with money. He's catching you. It's like one of those romantic only happens in the movies types of moments. And at this point, you have to be pretty much sold. I mean, you're coming from nothing. And some people might think, this guy might not have a lot going on, but for you, this guy's got everything going on. He's treating me well. Uh, yeah, other people have said he have said these things or these things have happened, but he's treating me good. And, you know, so I'm going to believe everything he's saying. Why would I not? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But eventually 
there's reasons why you shouldn't. So um, take us down the road of, uh, I guess, the first kind of big incident that you can remember. So at this point, we're living together. Um, the first big thing that happened was we, you know, we always go to his folks, his parents' house after dinner or for, for dinner after um, church on Sundays. And his whole family's there. It's busy. It's me and the kid and him and like three siblings and two parents. It's a packed house. Busy. And he decides that it's time to work on some homework in the midst of all of this. Uh, he's got some deadline. You know, it's got to be done right now or else the world is going to explode. And so he's trying to work on it. And then obviously we're carrying on because it's the living room. It's the common shared area of the home. Um, but then he just was like, shut up, just screams to everyone, shut up. I'm trying to do my homework, you know? And I'm like, okay. You know, I don't make a big deal. I don't react at all. I'm just like, I'm going to go now. I take my kid. I don't make a big scene. I don't want to make, I don't want to draw attention. I'm like, I'm just going to get out of here. This, you know, he's obviously a little tense. So I get out and then, you know, by the time I'm, home i have received these just over the top apology messages from him like i'm so sorry i would never hurt you you know i'm just i just got overwhelmed so i'm like okay that's granted we all get overwhelmed. another time we went to a comedy show that he had been really excited about and he'd been talking up this comedian like he wanted to meet him it was a big deal you're talking about it all week and after the show the comedian was in the common area just meeting and greeting with the guests and i was like oh my god like it's totally perfect opportunity like go up to him and he's like no no he totally chickened out and i'm like you know i being <laughs> being supportive and encouraging just excited for him i was like no no just please do it like he's right there and he he flips on me he's like no and he just walks out like leaving me alone in a city that I didn't drive myself to. We took his car there. So he just is trying to like leave me in the middle of nowhere. I'm running after him. Like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> please take me home. <laughs> um, and he's like, you know what? All you civilians are saying, you know, you guys have no discipline. And when it was, when I was, you know, doing my thing, like it was do or die. And if you didn't listen, it came over, man. Like just, totally verbally diarying all over me um about what a piece of shit i am whatever and um now i don't listen and i'm just like oh my god i'm so sorry like i would never hurt you like i of course i want to listen to you and hear you out like whatever like we can do this we can totally work through this problem <laughs> um you know and he's like not responding to me at all he's completely cold and dead just if he's if he's responding it's like one syllable you know, so he drops me off. He goes to work. He's completely not. He, I think he blocked me, actually. Like, he is not responding to any of my messages. So I think the relationship is, like, over. I'm devastated. And then the next morning, he just is like, hey. He just comes over like, hey. Like, nothing happened. Nothing. Like, nothing. And so I'm a little confused. But I don't address it. Because I'm like, maybe it was a rough night. Maybe. He's got some issues. Maybe there's a little PTSD going on there that I didn't know about. I want to be sensitive to his his triggers. So <laughs> we decided to have a baby. <laughs> um, what got you to the point of wanting to have a baby? Well, my first experience 
was so awful, right? Like I only got my two weeks of maternity leave and it was grueling and horrible. And one of the only things I really regret in my life was letting people just walk all over me during such a special time. That was my first kid. You know, you don't ever get that back. And so here I am, I have a better job. I have opportunity to take proper maternity leave and I can get PTO and I can get the time, the real time that you need with me. That's a big factor for me. I'm like, I want to do it again. I want to, I want to do it right. I got this great man. Um, we're, you know, we're solid. <laughs> and um, I got somebody, I got an extra set of hands around the house. And it's going to be great. I'm going to have all the support that I need because he's got this big, great family that wants to help. And um, I wanted to just do it over again. I wanted to do it right. Not, not that there's anything wrong with my oldest. He's amazing and wonderful. But I wanted to have that proper maternal experience with your newborn baby. That's you, Like I said, you only get that once. They're only like that for just such a short time. And I wanted to enjoy it because it was like hell the first time. So, and he's on board, obviously. He, he wants he wants to keep me in check. I guess that's probably what he was thinking. But so yeah, I, I think that was when I first saw his mask come off, was when we got that positive test and we had made the plans to tell his parents. That night we had this crazy fight. I don't even know. I think it was about him trying to overstep his boundaries with my oldest. Um. And he got in this huge fight, and he's like, I'm done with you. I will be in this baby's life just oblig- like a, on, by obligation. Um, but you and I are done, and I don't want anything to do with you. And this is like this is like the night we find out that we're having a baby. <sighs> but he gets over it, and I get over it. Um, you know, it, it, and I do bring up later when things have calmed down. I'm like, hey. You know, can we maybe work on the way we address our anger? Just maybe screaming in front of the child is not the best. And he's like, yeah, totally. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> and this is, again, I'm, I'm noticing aggression is ramping up between him and my oldest. My oldest is, I don't know, four or five at this time. He's a very small child, and he's treating him like a, like a recruit, like he's like a, like a recruit for the service. And I call him on it all the time. I'm like, this is a small child. He's, and I'm not, like, I'm a very hands-off parent. Like, you know, I'm not. Like, I like to just, I like to watch them. Obviously, they, I don't want them to get hurt. I'll intervene. But I like, I like to watch them. And I like to watch them explore and figure it out. Like, that's so fun. That's part of parenting. And, but there was none of that. Like, it was like, you do it this way or I'm going to freak out. And I didn't like that. But I couldn't talk about it because it would be World War III if I well, do you want me in this house or not? If you want me here, it's going to be like this. And so that sucked. And then he's also, you know, I'm, I'm now pregnant. I'm working. I'm in school. I have a child. I'm paying rent and bills and everything all by myself because he's here and he's working. But, you know, his money is his money. We're not really married. And he's still kind of just doing his own thing. He does quit his job pretty quickly after he moves in to focus on school. Because it's too hard to go to school and work full time. I should know. I've been doing it since 2017. But whatever. Whatever. So, you know, I have all this shit going on. I'm busy all the time. I can't get a moment to myself. And here I have this man 
I'm sitting here sweating, doing dinner, washing the dishes, trying to clean up. I'm, you know, I'm like an octopus. If I, or I wish I was an octopus where I had all these arms and I could just do everything all at once. And I don't have enough hands and I don't have enough time. And he's sitting there standing in the kitchen talking about some random story about how great he was in the, mili- in the military and and what a, what an asset he was to his team and then what an asset and a blessing he is to his coworkers. And I'm just like, wow, I would love it if you would show some of that enthusiasm in the home. Obviously, I don't say this. I just think it. But I'm just like a little, little less talking, a little more action. You know, you see me here busting my butt and you're just, what, what are you doing? You're either talking how great you are or you're playing PS5 or whatever. This is also the time where he's, we're going to these Sunday dinners with his family and he's getting into these just insane fights with one sister in particular. And it'll just be something small that would trigger it. And he would be saying the most vile things to her. You're going to die alone. No one's going to love you. I mean, just like the worst thing to his own sister, you know, and mom would just be like cowering, trying to wash a dish. And dad would just be like, I don't even know what, just staring into space. I mean, no one would intervene and no one would stick up for her, which I felt bad for her because who deserves to get berated like that, especially by her own brother? You know, no one's standing up for her and he's totally in his mind justified. And so I have to just go along with it because like I'm the one who has to go home with him. You know, I can't, I can't defend this poor girl because like I'm the one who has to get in the car with this scary yelling person and put my children, my, you know, my children in the car with a scary person. So I have to be like, oh, yeah, your sister really is a bitch, huh? But no one deserves that. So I'm, a, I'm about seven, eight months pregnant. I'm about to pop. And um, he just gets, in, we get into an argument. Well, on this stage in my pregnancy, we're already married at this point. And he tells me uh, that he needs space and then he's moving out. And he texts me all of this while I'm at work. And I'm huge and pregnant and sweaty and crying, thinking my marriage and my life is falling apart. Um, I lose my mind with a worry. I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm losing my husband. I'm losing my life. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to have this baby now with no one to help me. And, you know, I get home and he's just like, what, what's up? Why are you so worried? Why are you so freaked? Chill. <laughs> just kind of acting blase about it. And, you know, I have my baby and he gets into a fight with the doctor because we can't leave when he wants to leave because he's got to go take a test, you know. Um, the day I go back to work from maternity, we get into this insane fight because I uh, I left the fan on too high and it made his throat scratchy. And he was just so mad that he told me on, this is the day I'm supposed to go back to my job. He tells me, you're going to have to figure it out because we had, our, we had agreed that he was going to stay home and watch the baby because he wasn't working. But he said, no, we're not doing that anymore. You're going to have to figure it out. I'm not doing this. And he leaves and takes off. Like, this is, I don't know, 15 minutes before I'm supposed to leave. And so I'm, you know, I'm on the phone trying to take care. And then, of course, he comes back like nothing happens. And so it just kind of keeps going like that. And then we enter the pandemic. And, um, that's when, that's when it got really intense because, you know, we're locked in together and I'm having to work from home and I'm having to do everything. 
I mean, my life is, is nothing. It's just working and supporting him and getting screamed at and trying to run interference between him and my oldest. Uh, one day, you know, I um, have this meeting, this really important meeting that I have got to go to. And he knows about it, and I'm trying to get ready for it. And he decides that he's got to find his guitar strings in that moment to restring his guitar, like five minutes before this meeting. You know, so I'm holding this baby, and I'm freaking out because I want to make a good impression for my job because I'm the only one working. And if I don't do a good job, then we're not going to do too well, you know. And so, you know, he's screaming at me, telling me I'm like always hiding his stuff and always moving his stuff, which that's not a thing. Um, I don't do that. Um, especially guitar strings. I don't even play guitar. Why would I touch them? But anyway, I'm trying to print something while he's in this rage. That was another thing he would do was be doubling. It was like, I'm in a tizzy and I want you to watch. So you have to follow me and watch me be upset. And so I wasn't paying enough attention to him and his it. I was trying to print something for this meeting. He rips the printer out of the wall. You know, I'm holding the baby. I reach for what I'm trying to print. And he, you know, reaches back his hand like he's going to whack me, like he's going to slap me across the face while I'm holding our child. And so I just, I'm like, all right, I got to, I have to leave this situation. So I get in the car, I take the baby. You know, thankfully my son is with his dad. My oldest son is with his dad at this time. So thankfully he didn't experience any of this. But I go to the sister's house, the one that he's always getting into it with, the one he hates. But she's the one who's given me the most support through all of this. I go to her house, you know, and she's, like, so supportive. And we work out this plan. Like, what are we going to do to get out, you know? And he's calling me. He's threatening me. He's telling me, like, A, he has my location on his phone so he knows exactly where I'm at. He's telling me I'm going to go there, and he's like, I hope there are police there because I'm going to beat all their asses, too. I'm going to kick the door down. I'm going to take my kid back. You know, he throws all my kid, my clothes on the, the lawn. <sighs> and I call my therapist, my counselor at the time, who, you know, God bless him. I don't think domestic abuse is his forte. He tells me to go back, you know, and I do. And I don't know what his logic was. I since started seeing counselors but i he was like oh you're just in one of your moods <laughs> he tried to hit me <laughs> but you know here i am yeah. yeah so in this situation in this one incident right here you know the controlling behavior of movement within the house like following him that's the first time i ever heard that voiced out loud that specific thing where he wants you to watch his fit, which is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. You have the control of your phone here. You have threats. You have intimidation. Um, you have a lot of stuff going on in, in this one incident. And you have an ally, uh, which must feel good in, in the sister. Because um, I'm sure for... The sister, she's just like someone finally knows the pain because everyone else in my family seems to be ignoring it. Her probably her into whole, whole entire life, and for you, for her, you're probably like a blessing in a way. So, um, are you feeling like I can't leave? 
in some ways because of the child. I'm scared if my child is going to be with him, what will happen to my child? Are you like, what are the things kind of going through your mind? Cause at this point, you know, this is bad. Yeah, there is no denying it. Uh, that's completely toxic. Um, and I am terrified to go back. I don't know what I'm walking back into, but I'm also terrified of him coming and hunting me down. Like, God forbid he has, he has to do that. You know, um, I, I, I was honestly terrified of what would happen if he arrived at, at, at her house. Um, so I went back and, and I smoothed things over. Um, meaning I apologized to him for what he did, chasing up me and my child out of our home. I apologized to him. I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll never make you that mad again, buddy. <laughs> like, so, you know, and this keeps going on. Um, he's um, blowing up at me over small things. Like one time, you know, he... I get some cheap, tacky Halloween decorations in the mail from my mom for Halloween. I put them up, and he doesn't like them, and he just calls me a bitch in front of my children. And I'm like, what? What? Just, if you don't like them, just tell me to take them down or something. It's fine, anything but that. You don't trust me in front of my kids. So, you know, I I, I leave, but in a, in a calm way. I say, hey, you know, I'm just going to leave for a bit. I'm just going to take a drive and, you know, get some clear, fresh air. I call his mom, who she has no idea, because I'm totally protecting him at this point. And I'm just, I call her without going into too much detail. I'm like, hey, um, so this just happened. Um, You know, he called me a bitch because I put up this decoration I didn't like. And she's like, oh, you know, that boy has always had a temper, uh, but he loves you and he loves his mama. And, and, you know, if he wants a, if he wants a godly wife, then he needs to be acting like a godly husband and all this just platitudes. And she recommends me to uh, a church-based counselor, which that's great and all, but they really can't do anything for you. They can pray for you and maybe gossip on your behalf, but I don't know. I mean, practically there's nothing. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Um, so that was a death. And um, a lot of arguments around sleep. Um, there's something I found out later that they do is, is sleep abuse. And, and this man did not sleep to my knowledge. I, I just, I swear to God towards the end, like he just didn't sleep. So yeah, we were together four years. Sometimes I'm matching his energy, which is not good and not advisable in any way. Very dangerous. Um, I, I kicked a hole in a wall once out of anger <laughs> and desperation I was holding the baby when I did it. I was just, you know, I just, I lost it. He was, he was screaming at me. The baby was screaming. I was late to a meeting. You know what I mean? Like it was just a thousand things that only I could do. And I didn't have the help or the space to do it. And I just lost it. I mean, like it's reactional abuse and it's not great. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't even know what the word is, but don't do that. (laughs) It's not good. Was that um, ever used against you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that they brought up in court. Okay, so we'll eventually get there. Oh, yeah. This is, this is nothing. <laughs> so I'm going to get to, like, second to last thing. This is the thing that really got me thinking in a legal way. Like, what, what do I need to do to protect myself? Um, because it's getting to the point where it's going to go south. 
So um, one day, and this is another thing, is bathroom abuse. I've heard uh, they, you know, they control when and where and how you use the bathroom. Um, and so the control had gotten so bad to one day we got in this blow-up argument because I used the wrong bathroom. We had a two-bathroom house, and he didn't want me to use the one that I used, which is so stupid. Like, anyway. So he ends up calling me a cunt and screaming at me in front of my children, mind you. And my kid is old enough now to know, you know, that's, that is just, he doesn't know that word, but that's a horrible thing. Horrible. You know, so he's calling me this and that, every name in the book, in front of my children, screaming at me. And mind you, the sun hasn't even come up yet. I mean, it's like five o'clock in the morning because we're on newborn baby hours. You know, and I'm, I got to go to work later. <laughs> like, the levels of stress at this point are astronomical. And so he's calling me this and that. He's threatening me, telling me I am going to, I'm going to call a lawyer. And I'm going to make sure you never see your son again because I am the primary caregiver for this baby. I take care of this baby while you work, and I'm the number one caregiver. And any judge in the land will grant me custody of this baby. I'm going to make sure you never see him again. And I said, I don't know what I said. I totally tried my best to defuse that situation. But later on, I called my own lawyer, and I said, is there, is that true? And it is. It is true, because when your child is as young as ours, I think it's in our state it was two or younger, they want to uh, maintain status quo for that child. So whatever the standard of care is for that baby at that time, they're going to, regardless of if the caregiver is a raving lunatic or not. Um, and so I, you know, my the lawyer at that time told me, get him in a daycare, put him in a daycare, keep him in a daycare for a bit, to establish that as the standard of care, and that way it can't be used against you in court, and it will be leveraged against you for him to, to get tested. And that's what I did. I put him, and I and I spun it to the narc in a way like, oh, you know, this will free up so much time. We'll get to spend more time together, and I'll just get to bask in your glory more, <laughs> you know. Um, and so he totally, he totally went for it, and yeah, I got that, I got that kid with daycare, and that was our neutral, that was our neutral caregiver. So eventually you get to a breaking point. So what happened on that day? So this is the day, the day that I left. Um, this is April 23rd, 2021. So um, we're both, we're both in school at this time. We're both in undergrad. He's a little bit farther along than I am at this point. He's like in his last semester or something. Really crucial time. And he's got this deadline, you know, like it's got to be done or I'm going to, and my life will be ruined and you know far be it from me to bring up the point that he's not working with the sole intention that his time should be dedicated to meeting his deadlines and this should not be an issue this is why he's not working is so he doesn't have these problems he's not meeting his deadlines because he's up all night doing god knows what but i don't say anything you know so he's he's totally behind on this deadline he needs me to take off work short notice which i hate to do but I do it anyway. And so um, even at the next morning, he's like, oh, you know, I, I stayed up late and I got a lot of work done on my deadline. Um, I'm feeling more relieved. I'm, I'm feeling less stressed. I feel like I can finish this, knock this out in a reasonable time. And I'm like, that's great. Good job. Can I please go to work? <laughs> can I please go to work? Because, you know, I, I work in a really, it's a competitive kind of workplace and you want to 
you want to put your best foot forward because if you don't, there's going to be 20 other people in line who will, and they'll do better than me because I am, you know, I can only do so much. And at this point, I'm like, I'm like a car without any oil. Like I'm, I'm struggling. I'm barely able to do my, but you know, I, I love my job and I love what I do and I want to do it well. And it's important to me. So I asked him permission, just, can I please just go to the office for two hours? And he loses it. I mean, like zero to 60 in no time. And he starts screaming at me again with the name calling and bringing up everything I've ever done that he has not liked. Um, I'm talking purple in the face, veins bulging from his neck. The eyes are black. I mean, he is, I'm, I'm holding my baby, cowering, going to different rooms, trying to just get away from it. And in this moment, I have some presence of mind to start filming. Um, I put my phone on record and I just put it in my pocket. I'm not, I don't have it out. Showing, he doesn't know what I'm doing it, but I have it out in my, in my pocket, just kind of recording the audio of it. And the timestamps, they start at 8.27 a.m. and they end at 12.32 p.m. And it is just him screaming like an insane person at me for four hours, telling me he's going to kill himself, telling me he's going to do this and that. I'm just, I'm the worst piece of shit in the world. Uh, He's never been as angry at a woman as he's been at me. I mean, and he's he's just inches away from me. And, And you know, at, at, at first, you can hear me in the video kind of just being trying to stick up for myself, and then that goes out, and then I'm just apologizing, and then by the end of it, I'm like, my, me and my baby are like on the same level emotionally. Like, we are both just crying so hard we can't breathe because we just want to stop. Where's your other son at this time? He's at school. Okay. Thank God. Thank God, yes. My oldest was at school. And, you know, I'm, I'm making this video thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be my get-out-of-jail-free card. No judge is going to see this video and think this is a suitable parent. And so he's, he's escalating. He's, he's bringing up other things that I've, that I've done, and he's, he's, he's making himself angry or thinking about past situations. He's basically just foaming at the mouth. I mean, just insanely mad. So this goes on for four hours, and he finally is like, I don't know what or why, but he said, I'm going to the park, which is within walking distance of our home. I'm going to the park. He takes the baby out of my arms. Um, the baby is not in any mood to go to the park. And so he takes, takes my son away while he's in this insane mad state, turns his location off on his phone. And he's like, you know, if you want any chance of saving this marriage, you better go to the park with me. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, thinking, I don't give a shit about this marriage, but I'm not going to let you walk off with my child on foot, you maniac. And so I, I let him go. I put my purse and my keys in my car. Okay, so I walk back. I walk to the park. Thankfully, there are people there. So his mask comes back up. You know, we're calm. He's, we're, you know, he's giving us, we're talking about plans on how we're going to fix the marriage and we're going to go back to counseling for the billionth time, you know. And I'm like, yeah, totally. It's going to be great. Like, we're totally going to make it. Um, 
this is awesome. This is exactly how I want to live the rest of my life. And so thank God he, he goes back home and I'm like, this is it. This is it. (laughs) And so I walked, I walked around the neighborhood to the front of the house, the way our neighborhood was like, there was a back, um, an exit through our backyard where you could get to our home. So that's where he went. And so I went the opposite way, knowing I could get in my car from there. So I don't even think my kid has shoes on or uh, he has shoes on, but I mean, he's, I don't have diapers. I don't have a charger. I don't have my laptop. I don't have, have nothing. Toothbrush, contacts, I mean, nothing. So I walk around, <laughs> holding my baby, just hoping that he'll be quiet. And I'm looking, I'm peeking in the window, making sure that he can't see me. And I get in my car and I go, nothing on my back but my shirt. And I got my baby and that's all I care about. And I'm out of there. I call the police and I say, hey, you know, this just happened. If he tries to call you and say that I kidnapped our son, please know that that's not the case. With 2020, I know I should have had him removed from the home and I was well within my right to, but I was not mentally, I, I was still trying to protect him. Um, I would have saved myself a lot of trouble if I had to say, hey, please remove this raving lunatic from my home. He's terrorizing me and my child. I should have done it. I would have been within my rights, but I didn't. And I just, I fled and I ran. That was, that was my instinct. And, you know, you do what you do. Like you do what you do to survive. Right. Like, so I go to some family friends and they're amazing. They give me a charger and they go to the store for me and they buy me milk and bottles and diapers and wipes and all the crap that I just don't have. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm a lovering wreck along with my child. I, um, I go to stay with my mom, which that is not a healthy or a good place for me to be, but I don't have anywhere to be. I, I can't go back home. You know, at this point, his whole family is calling me, including the sister that gave me support and telling me to go back to him. And that was pretty painful because she was someone I trusted. And it turned out she just ended up being like a flying monkey in the end. You, you find out who's in your corner when stuff goes down, and I did. So, you know, stay at my mom's for two weeks. I'm doing therapy virtually because I'm like, I'm hanging on by a thread here. i got to toe the line. Like, I cannot mess up. I have got to keep my job. I can't, I cannot flounder there at all because I've got to get my own place. I've got to get, I've got to furnish that place. I've got to get clothes makeup, food, everything, you know, I've got to make it suitable for uh, children to live in, you know? And so my options at the time were pretty limited. I could have, I could have gone with this really scary looking shack. It looks awful and it was in the middle of nowhere and I wouldn't have felt comfortable living there, much less bringing my children there. The only other option, overpriced apartments, which were nice and fancy, but you know, that's, you know, I'm not a single 20-year-old by myself. I got two kids. I got to be reasonable with how I spend my money on rent, you know. It just wasn't feasible, but that was the only option. So you fleed here to start this brand new life. Are you able to take any time? Are you crying? Are you able to even cry? Because you don't have the luxury to cry here. 
and like you no. have two children that are depending on you, you have to be as tough as you can, especially for the older one. Um, so are you stuffing your emotions away here? And are you just trying to soldier on until you get to a safe place to let go pretty much? Exactly. Exactly. Um, looking back, I don't know how I did it. Um, I mean, I was, I was really taking therapy very seriously and that was very powerful outlet for me. Um, but otherwise I was like, on autopilot um just did what i need to do for the kids to make sure they were good and there was nothing beyond that processing was not i just no. Mm -mm. so eventually you are going through the legal process so take us through that oh man yeah um so my lawyer was a total joke um i don't know what he was doing and and you know Maybe he was the greatest lawyer. Maybe he was a great lawyer, and maybe I just didn't explain or emphasize my situation enough. I don't know. I don't know. It's too late to point blame, but, you know, I'm obviously I'm, I'm hysterical during, during my intake with him because this is happening, like, the next day. I'm calling, and I'm like, I just had to leave my home from this mania. I mean, yeah, granted, I was a mess, and I was just, uh, I, I, I can't even explain what a just a jumbled up mess I was then. And I'm still working to, to overcome those feelings. But, you know, he he's very much like, oh, you know, like, yeah, that sounds bad. I'm sorry you went through that. But, like, we should just play nice. Um, we're just, let's just compromise on everything. Like, um, it's going to make you look so good in court. Like, the judge is going to be so impressed with you by how reasonable you are and what a, what a great co-parent you are and you know, because uh, that's all they care about is, is what's in the best interest of the child, which, you know, granted, sure. And, if, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to take the man's kid away from him. I do want, I want it to be taken into consideration what I had to go through and what I had to take my child out of because of this person's actions. And, you know, spoiler alert, that never got addressed. So, you know. I go along with this idiotic plan to play nice with my abuser, um, despite my gut screaming otherwise. But I'm like, what do I know? I don't know anything about the legal system. I don't know. Um, and so he gets me to agree to um, set up the visitations. Um, my ex had not seen my child for two weeks. I go, I go no contact with him which is not advisable when you are in a co-parenting situation um, because they will accuse you of parental alienation. And I was not trying to take his child away from him. I was very confused and broken and terrified, and I was shielding myself from interacting with him because all I knew, my very limited knowledge of narcissism at the time was go no contact, go no contact which is great and it has a time and a place. But like I said, when you have a kid with that person, they will, they will say, they'll use anything against you. Um, so I, no contact did not work for me. It, it ended up kind of, it could have bitten me in the butt if I had not seen what he was trying to do with it. So anyway, as an aside, you know, he's, 
my lawyer gets me to read for this man to again have visitations with our child. And um, like 30 minutes before our son is supposed to see him, I get a call from my lawyer saying, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I just watched the videos you sent me. Uh, I don't think that this person is a good person to be around your child. Uh, did you know that he's got domestic assault charges? He's got like felony domestic assault charges. And so I'm, I'm like, it's an I told you so moment, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know this guy's freaking nut. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I don't want my son around him. He scares me. I don't know. I mean, I, I set him off and I'm pretty easy to get along with. A two-year-old is like, you know, you got to have a little patience and grace. And this man does not have it. I'm trying to, I'm trying, banging my head against the wall to get anyone to understand this, but no one seems to be listening. And so he's like, yeah, you know, go get your kid and you need to write. He tells me to write the um, protective order. You know, he sends me a template and he's like, you just fill out this template. So I'm sitting here rushing to try to get my son, which the, the dad shows up minutes after I get him. I mean, it's like a, it's like a touch and go moment. And I'm not, I'm meanwhile trying to fill out this freaking template, which I don't know why my lawyer who I was paying thousands of dollars could have done it and written it in a much more succinct way um, that a judge maybe would have listened to. But again, you know what you know, I know, what I know now I didn't know it then. And so the, the, the order got dismissed. It got completely thrown out because I was like, I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to know how to write this stuff. My, my narc was there in the courtroom to defend himself against it. I mean, he didn't get to speak, but he definitely was appraised and he was aware that I was trying to get the order on him. Anyway, that didn't work. So the narc is harassing me. You know, he, he knows that I have, I, have, I have to interact with him because of our child. I can't ignore him. And if I do, you can totally use that against me to get my son removed because per, they, the courts take parental alienation very seriously. And they will, they will take your custody away like that, if there's even a hint of it. And so I'm trying to play nice, you know, being a good co-parent. And I pay, I give my nurse $10,000 because uh, we, I just got my income tax and I had gotten some student loan money for the semester. And, you know, my narc is meanwhile just playing victim and saying, I left him for no reason. I left him with nothing. I left him without a scrap of furniture, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I feel guilty, not for him, but for my kid, right? I'm like, well, you know, if, if he's my child, if I can't get out of this, my child's got to spend time with this man, then I should probably give him some money so that he can provide a, that's just, this is how I justify it without, totally feeling sick in my stomach giving him so much money but at least you know hopefully I went to hopefully I went to my child I doubt it because this man has now got a new car and airpods and a gym membership and uh knew everything so so glad it's going to my child anyway so we get to the the temporary order hearing and this is my this is the moment that I've been like waiting for i'm like this is the moment where i'm gonna get to get up on a stand and i'm gonna show my videos i'm gonna show that judge why i left and why i was right and why i should you know what does the judge do first thing he got he does is says now i don't want to hear any mud slinging from any side if anybody starts talking bad about either side i'm gonna it's not gonna go well for any so there goes my whole there goes my whole plan right <clears throat> And um, my narc's side gets to open up. 
their first argument is saying she left him with nothing. She gave him no money. And this is, I have receipts of, I mean, it's, it's perjury. I mean, he committed perjury. He said, she left me with nothing. She gave me no money. She, I was just peacefully sitting there. You know, she up and took my kid, uh, went and moved in this luxury apartment. I mean, made it basically sound like I just did this on a lark because I was, I just, you know, I don't know. Wanted, wanted a little spice in my life. And so the only word I'm able to get in edgewise is when the lawyer, his lawyer accuses me of like buying a luxury or renting a luxury apartment. And I said, well, I would have been homeless otherwise, meaning, you know, I I can't reside with this man. And um, there is something I want to share with your listeners is that at the home that I shared with my narc, um, I was on the lease. I was able to get out of that lease by sharing um, my therapist wrote a letter saying this woman is being abused by this man. This is not a safe home for her. You know, you legally cannot force her to reside there under this lease. And so I, I sent that to my landlord and he took me off the lease. And so that ended up being one of one good thing, you know, um, it, it worked in my state. So hopefully that could help someone. Um, and so, and then, you know, of course my narc has, he has, had a divorce under his belt and he has had priors and he has had some time in front of the judge. So he's very polished and looks good and he knows the system and he knows what he's doing. And meanwhile, I'm just some crazy lady off the street. <laughs> like I'm barely holding it together. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, the less I say the better, because if I start talking, I'm going to just break down and, and he railroads me completely in court. Um, I ended up having to pay him child support. I had to pay for his lawyer on the grounds that he would not have had to hire a lawyer had not, had I not have left, um, which is ridiculous. Um, but our our state is a no-fault state, which means that I'll never get to discuss why I left. That is like, that's in the tomb now. I can't bring it up legally, regardless of the legality or the ethics of it. It's just no fault. You just left. So, um, that, that would be something that could keep me up at night. Um, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, on the same side of the coin or the other side of the coin, a judge cannot force me to go back and live with them. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'll take that, (laughs) whatever, call it what you want. I don't have to go back and live with this man. And so after this bogus court hearing, I'm, I'm now ordered to have to have these video calls with my narcissist every single night at 6 p.m. And I don't have to have the calls. He, he's, he's demanding the calls with our son, which is fine. You know, obviously, let the man talk to his kid, but, but it's a two-year-old. And I don't know how many two-year-olds you know, but they're not the best conversationalists. And so I would, I would be having to hold, physically hold this two-year-old child and making sure that he's interacting with the, the narc enough, quote unquote, enough. Otherwise, I'm going to hear about it. And I'm going to get accusations of not letting him talk to his son. Um, I, I'm going to take you back to court and make sure you can't have your kid because he's not looking at me on the screen enough. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, hold his head still? That's that's ridiculous. Um, and it was really traumatic so close after the abuse and everything that I went to went through to have to just like sit there and hold my son and make him interact with this nut 
you know, and meanwhile, he's just like giggling and cooing and making like fun little noises. Like he's so happy and having so good a time. The narc, not the sun. Um, and I would just, I would shake at the end of those calls, just hearing his voice. And, you know, he, he could see where I lived. He, you know, if I was wearing a new shirt, he would comment on that. Well, why are you, where did you get that shirt from? Oh, you got your nails done. Oh, you got your hair done. Why are you eating those, those $2 hamburgers? You owe me money. You know what I mean? So he wasn't using those video calls to bond with his son. He was using it to do recon on me and doing it to bring up things that he could use against me in court if he wanted to. And to just flat out control you still. Oh, yeah. Because um, I don't really care about anything in life except my kids. You know, they're everything to me. Like, they're everything. They're the only things that matter. They're like my Achilles heel, and he knows that. And he's he's using it, and um, he knows I would do I would do anything for my kid. Like it's no secret. And and he's and he's using it. He tried to write it into the order that I could only live ten miles away from him. Okay, I <laughs> I mean what? I have to give him five thousand dollars out of my retirement money. You know, which, whatever, I spend all of that on my lawyer anyway. Like, there's, he, he can have it. It's nothing. It's nothing. Whatever. Um, so how is uh, your healing process going if you're able to even have one? How do you kind of go through this with always having to see him? Well, you know... I, I take my victories where I can. So I did, I was able to write into the, the order that we have to only communicate through uh, this app. It's called Our Family Wizard. And it is it is for these high conflict situations, um, you know, where there is a third party reviewing our exchanges. So, and, it, and it's also kind of an annoying app to use. So it's, it's less, it's less these, um, efficient or whatever than like a Facebook messenger. So I'm not just someone in a pocket that you could just, peeing all the time. So I, I have this little extra wall, this little extra cushion that makes me feel a little less accessible to him, which is very helpful. And I know it really bugs him that he has to use it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's still going on. I mean, I hear it from him all the time about I'm just a shitty mom and he's going to take me to court and this and that. And finally, I just, I'm just like, okay, all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just, I'll, I'll just, I'll give him a one word answer. Um, I know he hates that because I know he wants to be to give him this long paragraph trying to justify and explain because that is my go-to. I love, I love logic and reason. And that is like, that is my life raft, you know, that's how I navigate my life. How most people navigate their lives. Not this, not these kind of people. They, they want to hear your reasoning. And I, I don't do that anymore. I don't explain myself. I have no, I have nothing to explain to him. I'm just like one word answer. Yep. Take me to court. All right. I'll see you there. Like, I'm just, it's really hard. I am a single mom of two now, um, but it's awesome and it's amazing. And I wouldn't go back and like my kids just are everything. Like I said, um, I'm, I'm doing therapy. I'm doing EMDR, which has really been a great tool for me. Um, I'm, I'm still in school and then like my last, couple of semesters it's going slow because I'm still working full-time so I'm just kind of like getting that in where I can um I'm 
uh, and I'm getting my yoga teacher certification. So I want to become a trauma-informed yoga therapist. Um, they actually have yoga programs developed for um, people who have had military experience or people who have been traumatized by people who have had military experience. Um, it's called you know, trauma-informed yoga therapy. Um, so that has been something that's been hugely helpful for me, and I want to I want to take it on, and I want to help I want to help people with. So, Beatrix, if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening or advice, what would it be? My words of wisdom would be um, to to give yourself the same kindness as you would a stranger on the street. Um, I, I imagine that someone hearing my story would feel sad. I don't. That's not my intention. I don't want pity. I don't want someone to feel sorry for me. But I just want to say, you know. If things are happening to you in your life that would break your own heart, <laughs> you heard about it, maybe maybe do some thinking about that and, and know that you're worth so much more. We're, we're all worthy, all of us, every single one of us, of love, wholeness, completeness. Um, and it's a tightrope walk that we have, to, we have to choose every day. And if we don't choose it, then we, can, we may end up no better than them. You know what I mean? And then that might not be the best motivation. It might sound a little spiteful, but I'm still in therapy for that. Still working on that, on that particular piece. <laughs> well, Beatrix. <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us today, sharing your story. Um you know, you went through a lot. You got through the best you could. You got out. You're safe, and that's all that matters. And you love your kids, and you're doing everything for them, and you're here for the right reasons to help other people. So I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. Yes, absolutely. It was an honor, and I, I just want to extend my gratitude to you as well for this, hosting this amazing platform. The, the stories that I've heard, I mean, I wish I wish this was required listening for for young women who are dating. You know what I mean? Like just the, the wealth of knowledge here. It's a fantastic resource. Well, you never know. One day that might happen. So I just really want to thank you once again for being on the show, being a guest. And if you want to be a guest like Beatrix was today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button. It takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions. And then either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form submit page and press that submit button, something along those lines. And if you need support, please do go to our website as well and click on the support group button. That takes you to our very own safe social network. And there we have our very own forums. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, every Thursday afternoon, and every Saturday night. We have episodes that never made it to air, and we have ad-free episodes. So please do join our support group if you need support. And if you just want to support the show, join our support group today. And if you need even more support and you want some free support, please do go to domesticshelters.org. 
So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone because DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing. They can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can find ways to help you heal and move forward. So please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And now that is it for our show today. So from myself and Beatrix, we hope you have a good night.